Hi, I'm Jason Barnwell. I work on legal business operations and strategy for Microsoft. Today, I'm chatting with Lisa Coney, Senior Director of Legal Operations at Adobe Systems Incorporated. This conversation started in email as a discussion among some legal operations professionals, and we decided to take it live and record it to give others in our community a view onto our thoughts. Thank you for making time to chat today, Lisa. Looking forward to it, Jason. Thank you. All right. So let's get right into it. What happened on June 4th, 2018? The momentous day for some of us, right? Yes. Uh, that was when Millbank announced that it was boosting the first year associate salary to a whopping $190,000. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like it, it It seriously mentally dated me because I can recall what my salary was as a first-year associate fresh out of law school knowing next to nothing. And let me tell you, it was far, far, far from $190,000. I will admit that I, too, started out as a law firm, uh, at a law firm as an associate, and uh, I, I felt uh, vastly overpaid uh, at a much smaller number, uh, too. So I, I guess, how do you feel about this? I mean, honestly, I'm appalled. <laughs> I'm appalled, and and it is because I'm I I'd like to think that I'm not that far removed from my days as a first year associate and an associate in big law. That um, I recall, I recall certainly the first six months of being a first year associate, and I literally felt like I would get in my car on the verge of tears because the learning curve was so steep, and because I knew nothing. And as somebody who was an overachiever their entire life, I mean, I still am. I I. I you knew that you were not living up to anybody's expectations. And so, and again, that was at a drastically reduced salary compared to what they're doing these days. And so I am still in touch with that sensation. And I have second year law students who are working in my legal department as interns. So they are on the cusp of becoming first year associates. And I engage with them on work product and, and it reinforces the concrete belief in my mind that uh, for first-year law students coming or first-year associates coming out of law school don't warrant a price tag of $190,000. But that's interesting because beyond just talking about, let's just call it the, the, the raw economic impacts, you're also shining a light on how this impacts the people and that bringing people in with such high expectations that they're going to deliver value that merits that compensation from day one may not put them in the best place to succeed. I, I, I totally agree. I would say it's not even a may not put them in in a place of success. It's that it won't because I, I think about very seasoned attorneys that don't understand the concept of value, certainly from a client's perspective, let alone a first-year associate. Hmm, that's a great point. So you observed this uh, this challenge, and, and what did you do? Uh, I probably sat on it too long because um, I'm, I'm still I'm, I'm hoping that all of my firms have not yet made their decisions. But um, I sat and noodled on it for a while, and then really came to the place that 
as a client, the loudest voice that we have is to express our concern first and foremost and to be transparent with our law firms. Um, and, and secondly, to make it abundantly clear that their decisions are not in a box. It, this is something that has a direct impact on us as a client, and it's something that we will take into consideration as a data point when we evaluate what firms that we want to use as we move forward for the remainder of FY18 and into FY19. And for me, it's no different than topics such as diversity, for example, and wanting to understand what my firm's strategy is around diversity and taking that into account for when I make decisions around outside counsel. Uh, this was another one. And so I reached out to a number of my key firms, probably about a dozen of them, with an email. Um, some got a, a preface call with uh, to let them know what I was going to do, but I basically sent out an email to my lead partners at a dozen firms expressing my interest, first and foremost, in understanding what their position is around first-year salaries, as well as exp expressing my displeasure to the Millbank announcement and, um, and letting them know that this was something that we were going to take into consideration, and I do believe that one of the loudest impacts or you know largest impacts we can make is is to effectively pull work from firms and let them and send the message that way of, of our disapproval saying you know what your values are not in alignment with what our values are and so have you gotten any responses back I have, and it's been interesting to date. Um, and I knew when I sent my email out that some of my the firms I were sending them to were not, um, you know, AMLAW law firms, um, and some of them were smaller, and I did that almost intentionally because this is information that I want to share with the rest of my legal management team when we start talking about outside counsel, um, and so the, the responses have been varied. I've had some firms say, we considered this very <laughs> deeply, and you know, uh, please don't take this the wrong way, but yes, we have gone ahead and met the salaries um, that Millbank announced in certain of our key offices, and this is, you know, in order for us to be able to remain competitive and attract top talent, blah, blah, blah. And then I've had some firms say that they're still evaluating their model and have taken my email and sent it to their managing partner to make sure that they have direct clients that um, are weighing in and giving feedback to the law firm partners about their position on this. And I'm waiting to see what those firms will do. And then I have some of my less... Um, uh, some of my smaller firms that have been very upfront saying we we don't ascribe to this kind of model. We do things differently. Um, and and this was the most interesting one was one of my smaller firms that wrote to me and said he, he disclosed his first year salary rates, which were they were it's actually lower than what I made when I was a first year associate. So I was I was uh, shocked. <laughs> but um, he disclosed his first year salary rates. But then he gave me a story about an associate that left to go to another large law firm in L.A. to get a larger salary, not necessarily the 190K, and he was gone for 29 days before he came back and asked if he could have his job back because he realized that the focus on training and some of the added incentives at firms that aren't necessarily just throwing down the big dollars um, was actually higher and greater and of more importance to this individual, this associate. So it was really cool to kind of get that color and context along the way as well. So I've seen a mixture so far, and then I have a handful of firms who have not yet responded. So we'll see. That is really interesting. I, I mean, I, I think you're highlighting for anybody who is on the buy side uh, that 
you really do have to make your voice heard. And that if you're seeing something that does not align with how you think about partnership and value, that assuming that the firms are telepathic and will infer or impute this is a huge mistake. And so I think you, you really are teaching us all that the best approach is to be very explicit about what you're looking for from your partners in all the dimensions. Um, you started going towards something that is really interesting to me. The argument that it seems to keep coming back to us is that they have to match compensation with the top pairs to attract the best talent. And I think you just gave us a little view into the fact that maybe not. And so I'm curious if you have, have any other thoughts related to that. Sure. So being at Adobe, I'm square in the middle of Silicon Valley, and we have a tremendous talent pool here in Silicon Valley. And companies such as your own, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Google, I mean, you name them. They're all the big companies, Apple, they're all in our backyard. And so if law firms don't think that we appreciate having to compete for talent, <laughs> it's... it's uh, it's kind of silly, right? Because yeah. we have, we've got everybody, we're competing with everybody. And, and so we get it. We understand what it means to try and compete for talent. And sure, there are lots of times where we've lost out to somebody at a company that will remain nameless because they were paying more money than we were paying. And, and typically the argument then launches into this other area of wonderful things that make a difference to some people. And so for instance, I'm really passionate about communities and the environment and charity and giving back. And so when I talk to candidates about Adobe, I talk about our efforts in those spaces and how Adobe has a dollars for doers program. And for every 10 hours that I volunteer, Adobe will make a contribution monetarily um, on, my, on my behalf to an organization, right? So there's so many intangibles that can attract talent and top talent. And it's not it's not always just about the salary that you're going to pay somebody. And I think that's especially true as we look to the millennials and sort of the, the younger generations that are coming up behind us, that they they even have a very different value set. Sometimes it's it, it's even like, can I work from home, right? I mean, it has nothing to do with the, the paycheck that they're drawing. And there's so many things that actually come to mind. Um, and I, I like I said, I just mentioned a few, whether it's training or the culture or, you know, charitable gifts or uh, the environment of open space and collaboration and free food and, you know, wellness centers. There's just, there's so much to it that, that I think needs to be considered, that it's not just about this large salary in I my book. I, I think you're right. And I do think that we see the law firms going with a very monodimensional and conventional approach to thinking about how they create an experience for their employees that causes them to really engage and find purpose, meaning community that helps them show up and, and do their best work and service as clients uh, most effectively. And so I'm I'm very much aligned with, uh, with your thinking on this. I, I'm curious. So does the compensation increase matter as much if your engagements are primarily fixed fee? I, I actually still think it does because the conversation to get alignment around a fixed fee is 
difficult, to say the least, right? And and I always go into these discussions with my law firms explaining, first and foremost, this is a, we are in this for the long haul. This is a partnership between us and the firm. And our fixed fees need to be something that are win-win for both sides. This is not just us trying to nickel and dime our law firms and get the cheapest rate and, you know, essentially screw them in the end, right? That's not what fixed fee engagements and alternative fee engagements are about. And so when you think about that and you keep that as as one of your tenants of, uh, of an operational model, it's still exceptionally difficult to have your firms thinking that they're hourly rates because no matter you know how much you're pushing for value and how much you're pushing for fixed fee, the firms to date, most of them, there's a few outliers, are still heavily dependent upon the billable hour. And, and these $190,000 salaries are just causing the billable hour to skyrocket. And so they're still looking at that side of it and thinking about production and putting that price tag onto the hour that makes the fee conversation then become even more difficult. And it's one that when I spoke to one of my existing preferred firms who we I do have an annual fixed fee in place with them, I, I said, you know, hey, you guys haven't yet said what you're going to do from a salary perspective, but I want you to hear me loud and clear that just because you're changing your compensation model does not mean I am going to increase my fixed fee for next year, right? And so there are ways to kind of quote unquote make it easier or lessen the impact of this 190k approach but uh you know it, it's going to take a lot more work on both sides yeah no we're we're all still downstream and they mm -hmm. will find ways to flow the cost structure changes back to us so one thing Correct. that uh i i find really interesting is you and you really start going after this is they really are very focused on production models, right? And as much as how many hours does this thing take? And one of the things that we've been trying to push our partner firms to get more thoughtful about is rather than looking at it that way, can you please start thinking about how you map out the processes that comprise the work that you do for us so that we can start thinking about what are the actual inputs and perhaps more importantly, what is the value of the outputs and how can we optimize and bring more efficiency to the work that you're doing for us? And if I'm honest, we get a lot of pushback on that. And it's a lot of conversations that devolve into, well, you know, Jason, every one of these is different. And basically <laughs> I'm a craftsman and you don't understand, like I, I won't know until I get further down the road. And then it turns into this awkward back and forth. I'm like, oh, so, you, so you've never done this before? Like, no, 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 I've done hundreds of these. Oh, well, is there an 80% shape? Well, yes, but, and so, really pushing them to, to be more thoughtful about what are the motions that are underpinning the work they do for us. I, I want to get them to that place, but man, it has just been hard. So, yeah, I don't envy you that. I, I mean, everybody thinks that what they do is, I call them special snowflakes. Um, <laughs> it's like my, you know, and they all, I mean, we even get it internally, right? It's like, oh my gosh, my stuff is so special and it's so unique and nobody can do it but me and I'm blah, 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 right? And and so you get it in spades externally as well. Um, and so I, I definitely don't envy you there. We've been trying to take a little bit of a different approach and that is, again, um, on the basis of transparency first and foremost, but also a alignment and that is to first start with our own folks internally and give them a kind of template for assessing the work that they're sending to outside counsel that basically asks a handful of questions about, you know, what is the complexity of this work? What is the value to Adobe? 
and again, this is from one person's lens, right? It's the person who is assigning the work is to say, if you were assigning this work, what level of person would you think would be needed to do this kind of work? How many, and I hate to say it, but we do kind of try and ballpark because, I, again, it's about alignment. How many hours do you think a project like this would take someone at that level? And and so we're trying to ask some very, very basic questions of our lawyers in advance of sending the work over to our outside counsel. And we are actively encouraging slash requiring our outside counsel to say, if you have not gotten this from the attorney with whom you're working at Adobe, please make sure you get this, right, so that we can get aligned. I don't want you to put a partner on something if we're thinking it's only going to take a third-year associate. I don't want, you know, 20 hours and a memo if we think we need a bullet-pointed email from you just outlining, you know, a few areas of the law or, you know, responses to an issue or, you know, whatever the specific project may be. So I think there's just a reluctance on the law firm side to actually ask questions of their client. And and I certainly have seen it through a lot of the attorneys I've worked with in various firms where they just they just want to feel like, yeah, I've got it. I, I can do this. And yet they don't. And then sometimes they go down the wrong path. And then everybody's, you know, like, well, I'm not paying for that. And, and it just, it, I just wish that people would be a lot more transparent transparent both on the ask as well as the outcome, the anticipated, you know, what what are we actually trying to get out of this? So I think you just identified one of the, the, the part of the secret sauce to value, which is basically refined matter scoping, asking for what you want done with precision and then coming to alignment on what is the level of talent required to actually do that work for you. And we too are, so I think we're, we're chasing your taillights a little bit, but we're gonna be investing very heavily in tools and processes in the coming year that try to do just that. So that our legal professionals, when they are asking for support from outside counsel, we can give them a view on what success looks like in the work that they do and the work product that they deliver. But I'm in violent agreement that that really is one of those things that helps you be aligned and get more value and have a much more effective partnership. Um, well, th this has been really helpful. I'm, I'm curious, what do you think legal operations folks should do in response to these kinds of changes to that our, our partners make without always consulting us? Yes. Uh, first and foremost, I, I hope people hear of, about things like this podcast, right? And that the fact like companies such as our own um, are, are giving pause to these announcements and what's happening. Um, I am really hopeful that heading into the next handful of months when we do a reassessment of our firms, that this is, that this is something that is given a lot of credence and I will be arguing vehemently to boot some of our firms, one of whom is on our preferred panel, right? And I just... I just do not believe we should be reinforcing this behavior, and so I'm I'm really hoping to speak loudly with my my shoes and walk, right, and take our work and take it elsewhere because there are so many firms that have such talented individuals that um, I just I think we need to to speak loudly on this. So my hope is that other operation folks not only are listening to those of us that are willing to speak very loudly on this topic, but are willing to start carrying the torch as well and saying, you know what, we're not on board with this either. And, and, and you know, sometimes maybe it's that you've, you know, you're going to have to get stuck with one of these firms because it's a bet the company kind of thing and that's what you're going to do. But maybe it's like I'm saying, I'm like, I'm not going to have them on my preferred panel. So it, it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. You don't have to say, I'm 
am not going to use a single firm that does this. Trust me, there I would have so much pushback internally if it was a bet the company issue. People would be like, Lisa, we don't care. But those those are the rare, those are the outliers. When you think 80-20 rule, that's not what we're talking. So I think for the bulk of our work, we need to speak up and we need firms to understand that, you know, not only do the first year salary increases need to stop, but the, the whole focus on the billable hour needs needs a reevaluation and we need more firms on board with focusing on alternative fee arrangements. Well, I, I think you just gave us the playbook. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm going to go write that down and, and start working on that for, for us. Um, before we go, uh, I, I just want to ask, uh, what what is Clock and what is your role with Clock and where can people go to learn more about it? Thank you for teeing that up. Clock, Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, one of my passions. I am on the board of Clock. We we basically started like a little book club with a bunch of us sitting around the table where we just didn't want to reinvent the wheel. And so it was all about information sharing and helping each other and paying it forward. And I do believe that that's the root of the organization as it continues. We have grown exponentially. You can find us at cloc.org. We are, uh, oof, I think over 15 hundred members in close to 40 countries and we are bringing operational professionals together at all levels it doesn't have to be just a focus on ops directly it can be everything from e-discovery to e-billing and anything along the way where we're trying to bring the entire ecosystem together from our service providers our law schools our law firms and our legal operations professionals into the conversation so that we start sharing more information be more transparent and really, you know, leverage each other to raise the tide. Lisa, this has been incredibly helpful. Thank you so much for making the time to chat. Totally loved it, Jason. Thank you.